Don't get sold a dream that does not match the reality of owning a brick and mortar business. Hi, I'm Jared Krause. I'm the host of the Buying Online Businesses podcast. And today I'm talking with Fred, who is a buying online business graduate who had previously wanted to buy a traditional brick and mortar business to get out of the job as a plant manager and have more time independence and location independence, but realized that those businesses, the traditional businesses that he was sold are great business to buy, would cost him 50 hours a week. So we turned to buying an online business that bought, you know, he bought a great content website and he continues to grow it. Now, in this podcast episode, we talk about why, like we talk about Fred's reason why he wanted to buy a business uh, and why it wasn't matching obviously the traditional brick and mortar type business and why he decided to move into online businesses and his experience with online businesses in the previous years previously to coming to this space of buying an online business. We talk about due diligence a lot in this podcast as well. So if you haven't got my framework, make sure you get it. There'll be links to that in the show notes. It's free, buyingonlinebusiness.com forward slash free resources. Um, it's what Fred has used to buy a business. Uh, and we talk about how long it took him to do due diligence, how many due diligences he needed to do to get to a point that he could execute on a deal and know what a good deal looks like versus a bad deal versus the business that isn't right for him. We also talk about emotions and the emotions that he went through and the projections he had by trying to sell himself into buying the first or second or third business and then his relationship with us doing reviews on his business that he submitted to us and how that changed and evolved his education to helping him buy a better business rather than buying the first business or first three businesses that he submitted. And we talk about that, how that's pretty common for most people uh, when they're looking at buying their first business and what projections can do to create value for yourself. So then we talk about how long it actually took him in terms of time, not just inputs on what it took him in time to buy the business. And then we move into talking about the business he bought. He shares the niche, he shares the price, he talks about the negotiation, and then we also talk about what he's doing to grow the site. And he also has a bunch of things, that mistakes that he made after purchasing the site that he wants to share or he did share and warn people about and what not to do and what to do instead. Let's talk about the training period and how you can negotiate a good training period to set yourself up for success. I also share what you should do once you bought a business, like what changes you should and shouldn't make. And lastly, we talk about the advice that Fred has for somebody else and his peers that are looking at buying a business for the first time as well. There's so much value in this podcast episode uh, where I share a lot of things around mindset, emotions, investing, where beginners trip up. And Fred shares a lot about his experience where beginners trip up and what he learned through the process. So I'm sure you're going to get so much value. Let's dive straight in. Do you have a website you might want to sell either now or in the future? We have a hungry list of cashed up and trained up buyers that want to buy your content website. If you have a site making over $300 per month and want to sell it, head to buyingonlinebusinesses.co forward slash sell your business or email us at info at buyingonlinebusinesses.com because we will likely have a buyer. Details are in the description. Fred, hello and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Jared. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Firstly, congrats on the deal that you have finished and closed. That's super exciting. Yes, thank you so much. It was nice to finally get it done. And uh, now I've had, we've had the site for almost two months actually now. Mm-hmm. And you did just send me a, uh, a chart of the growth that you've had from the site as well, which is super exciting. And uh, let's dive into that towards sure. the end. And I want to talk about some of the things you've been doing and growth strategies and all that sort of stuff because I know that you've been pretty active. But let's start from the start. Why, why, uh, or, you know, do you, are you working at the moment? What do you do for work? And yeah. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a plant manager. So I manage a manufacturing facility, pretty large um, facility with uh, about 400 people in it right now. And just getting to the point that we're, we've been working on second sources of income and we have some rental property and it was time to think about, do I want to be tied to a plant that runs 24 seven, you know, forever. So starting to work on some plan B items. 
And I had actually been looking at some some uh, brick and mortar businesses for quite some time. So I took some classes and been involved in trying to find a brick and mortar business to purchase and went under LOI for a few businesses as well. Um, but I never okay. was able to find something that I felt comfortable with. Unfortunately, what I found is with brick and mortar, until you go under LOI, you don't really get to do the DD. The, the DD is very difficult where with the websites, you actually have data that you can look at. And the business, once you go under LOI, you can finally see detail and then you find that it's not exactly what it was uh, sold to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There are some brokers that do require you to sign an LOI before you can get a prospectus and, and, mm -hmm. and a lot of data. But if you know the website URL, typically they do share a few things to make you a bit more comfortable before going ahead and signing an LOI. And I guess for people listening, the LOI normally freaks a lot of people out, right? Like mm -hmm. where they think if they're going to write a number down on what they intend to buy the site for that they need to settle and... Um, you know, that contract of sale needs to come through at that price range. When you're buying, you know, brick and mortar businesses, was that the same thing for you? Did you feel the need to possibly purchase the business at that price and knowing that you, yeah, how, how was that process for you? With, with the brick and mortar, it was um, you got a broker's pro forma that you were working off of. And until you took the next step, you really didn't know all the details. So when you finally get serious about it and dive into it, after you spent hours and hours investing in uh, researching this particular company, you start to find out once you get the real books in your hand, that they're just not what they were uh, made out to be, unfortunately, where with the websites, you're able to go and you can use tools like SEMrush and Hrefs and you get access to Google analytics and you get to actually see data um, up front. And now you, you still have to be able to verify income and, you know, affiliates and things like that. But you have a lot more access to data than you do, I think, with a brick and mortar. At least that was my experience. Yeah, cool. And so what's what was the, you sort of alluded to it before, you don't want to be doing, you know, running a plant, you know, be a plant manager forever. What's the, what's your big why? Like, what's your, what's your end goal? Like, what are you wanting to achieve? Uh, the, the, the biggest achievement would be just time, being able to spend time the way that I choose. And like, I don't picture myself on a beach, you know, sipping Mai Tais. Um, I, don't, I don't think that would be a lot of fun to me, but I would like to be able to do that if I choose and be able to pick my own hours. And if I want to go see my kids, I have four children. So if I want to go fly out and see my kids at college, I'd like to be able to do that more freely than maybe I can today. So, you know, the long term is just the freedom my wife and I like to travel, and so being able to go spend a, you know a few months in different countries and spend a few years just traveling abroad, um, this this type of business opens up those options. Yeah, is that what you realize? Because uh, I don't know. Like, I see a lot of marketing for people to buy boring businesses and mm -hmm. you know brick and mortar businesses and buy them with no money down. And what I find is a lot of people are looking at buying traditional businesses and they want that, yeah, financial independence, but they also don't want to be tied to a location and they also want some time independence and not have to go into a, you know, certain location there. Uh, and then they get sold on maybe a course with some clever marketing from somebody that can buy a traditional business with no money down, which is uh, mostly not the case unless you have are buying like quite mm -hmm. large assets, like, you know, tens of millions of dollars worth and you have um, some funds from different places that you can put in. Maybe it's not your own cash, but it's pretty rare. Do you find that the case, was that the case for you? You realize like you want to, you want this income and you don't want to be tied to your job. And then did you realize, damn, I need to like change this approach a little bit to suit your goal? Cause that's pretty, that's pretty I've found that pretty common. Yeah. I mean, what I do now is I manage, I have other managers that report to me. And so I manage the financials and the output. So I'm used to managing other managers. And that was the thought that, well, I can buy a boring business, like you say, and then I can manage a manager from abroad or from anywhere that I want. And I won't have a lot of touch time. Um, but what I found is that's just mm -hmm. not the reality and the price range I was looking at. I was looking in the, 
maybe one to three million dollars. So I would be getting an SBA loan. I would be personally accountable for it. And I would end up, it would end up being a 50, 60 hour a week job um, anyways. And that, that just doesn't meet the goals. I would be financially on the hook and my time would be gone. And uh, I would find it very difficult to be able to pull away with that much money invested and, and the liability as well. Yeah, it's funny. We get sold that you can earn a business that earns passive income and you can earn money while you sleep, even if it's you know brick and mortar. Uh, and then a lot of people realize, yeah, you're buying yourself a job. Uh, I've, mm-hmm. I had somebody that bought and was looking at buying a traditional business. They bought an online business like, damn, this is really good. And then they started looking at comparing that to another brick and mortar traditional business in their location. And they just never ended up getting around to it because we would also look at it and be like, well, is this within, within alignment of your values and within alignment of like what you actually want to achieve? and the life that you want to live. And it just wasn't the case. Uh, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of clever marketing out there on like buying businesses with no money down where it's easy and it's a boring business. But when you look under the hood, it's a very different case. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think I made the right choice. I certainly um, don't want to get caught into a 50, 60 hour second job. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And so how did you, how did, what was the process of like you going, all right, I want to buy a brick and mortar business to how did you discover the online space? Like how did you make that transition? Was it a thought that you thought I need to get online or was it something you saw? I mean, I've, I had experience in the past online. Um, I had built some websites before for a church that I went to and I did a couple others as well. And I, I helped a guy with a internet forum that I managed for him and I added ads to it. So I, I had been exposed to it, but it had been like 15 years ago when you could uh, put some some keywords on a white background with white text and it would actually start to rank and, and people could find it, you know, back in those <laughs> days. So I, I wasn't scared of internet or technology, but I was watching, I believe it was um, a YouTube video from uh, Barnett that you were on. It was it yep. David Barnett. And he interviewed you and that's David when, Barnett. yeah, David Barnett and the light went off that, Oh, maybe I'll look into this. And I had heard Flippa mentioned a few times and it sounded kind of scary and like, you know, eBay deal where you don't ever know what you're going to get. And, but once I started to look into it and said, you know what, if I can get linked up with someone that can help me learn and make educated decisions, um, then I could feel comfortable. And that's exactly what happened um, with your program is, yeah, I can go out and I can Google search and I can try to learn on my own but not having the experience, I don't know what I'm reading. Is it is that accurate information or not? It all sounds accurate, but being able to have somebody that I can trust, um, that's uh, priceless, really. Yeah, shout out to David. Uh, he is a great man. And if there was anybody that I would trust to help people buy a traditional business, it would be him. Hmm. Um, compared to all the other people out there, he's just a, such a straight shooter really nice guy from Canada, um, Dealmakers Academy. He's he's really good at what he does. Um, yeah, cool. So this, it's it's quite different. It's I mean, it's quite different buying a, an online business, but it's also, there's a lot of similarities in terms of due diligence. What did you, what did you learn that was a bit different when buying an online business versus a brick and mortar business through the due diligence phase? The... The single source dependency, this, it took me several DDs before that got through my head. And, uh, I kept seeing the responses from yourself or whoever was doing the DDs about single source dependency. And it took two or three for it to sink in to go. You don't necessarily see that as much with a brick and mortar. If it's been there for 10 or 15 years, they probably don't have a lot of single source anymore. They've, they've got their business model figured out. And some of the websites may only be two years old. And they may be single source dependent and that may work fine until there's a change made and it could go to nothing or it could double. And uh, that, you know, wasn't interested in that. So I learned a lot with trying to see what's, what's a reasonable single source dependency. Um, what are they? Like I had submitted some DDs where the site was completely monetized on sponsored um, articles on the site. And I thought that was okay as I'm reading and I'm looking at the numbers. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. 
you know, in hindsight, like, Ooh, that's, you know, that was probably <laughs> just a race to the bottom, right? It, it would, it would be going down over time, I would imagine. Or, uh, I had looked at one. Yes. That was, yeah. Yeah. I say, I looked at one that was very dependent on the branding of the person that was running the website and thought, oh, well, we'll just put another person in place and you may be able to do that, but you may lose it all. And if you're spending, you know, fifty, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 on a website, um, I don't think that's a reasonable risk to take. At least it wasn't for me. So um, your team was able to point that out multiple times on that one. It was, uh, in this case, it was Pinterest and it was uh, yeah. based on one person. Sorry, are you? Are you sure that's a, a reasonable risk or not? <laughs> yeah, this is the funny thing is that when people submit a due diligence, well, that you go through and you learn on the course, like the Bob course, mm -hmm. how to get all the data and how to get all the information and, and put it into the framework it's based on your goals and your guidelines and all that sort of stuff. And then you start submitting it and that's when another level of education happens where we point out things that, are business specific so i still talk about it in the courses right we talk about personal mm -hmm. brand dependency but when it's like you're thinking about i'm going to actually probably buy this business and we point out the risks um through uh when you submit your dd just for people listening we review dds due diligences and then we point out those risks specific to each business that is not something that we can teach for all general businesses like not every business has sponsored posts not every business has single source dependency uh, but then you start to realize the real risks of it and it sometimes often it takes you multiple due diligences to go yeah okay that's that's i get the risk now and mm -hmm. especially when you're about to part with your cash you're like oh don't quite understand it we explain it a little bit how did you find that process of the reviews and like yeah, tell me, tell me more about that. Like, did you, was that a big part? Was that a big part of your asset selection or do you think you, you learned more through the, through the course? It was the DDs, but I don't think without the course, I would have had the framework to understand because when I submitted a DD, particularly the beginning, um, I was already emotionally vested in those, in those uh, businesses that I sent in. I, I had already decided this is the perfect business. So I had to be able to overcome that emotional decision that I'd already made without enough information to make the decision. And so that was, that was a yeah. big learning. And then the, the second piece of that was that the responses I was getting from the DD didn't tell me the answer. They, they asked me to question my assumptions and that made me think, and it, mm -hmm. it's just, you, now you have to critically think because I wasn't being given the answer and, you know, I'm not going to learn, or we're not going to learn if somebody just gives us the answer, we have to work through and come to our own conclusion and that's what happened after three or four so it took, i was pretty hard-headed so it took a while but i didn't buy any at the same time because i remember the second one i was just well forget this i'm just gonna buy it anyway and that would have been a huge mistake, huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um that business did eventually sell yeah it's, oh, it's such yeah it's such a good uh it's such a good thing that you mentioned there because most people, for the two things that you mentioned, most people do come in and they're like, oh, I've already got a business ready. Can you just review mm -hmm. it for us? And they're just so emotionally attached to it. And this is the scary thing that I talk about in mindset at the start of the course where the scary thing is that people look at the business, they sell themselves on the business, and then what they do is they picture themselves owning the business and they mm -hmm. they project and picture themselves what their life would be like owning the business and then owning maybe two of those or growing it and they build this projection and this ideology of this life that they would have by owning that business and that's when it can be hard to get that feedback so i take my hat off to you it can be hard to get that feedback from our team saying well hang on look at this, look at that, ask deeper questions around this, understand this a little bit more because there is a risk there, but all risk is minimized by education. So educate yourself enough to see if it's something that's worth taking on or mm -hmm. not taking on. And that's the key thing is people have that, I'm generalizing, but some people come in and submit their DDs with the level of expectation that we're going to tell them whether it's a, whether they should buy it or not. <laughs> But the reality is we're not here to rob you of an education. We're here to teach you 
how to value the businesses yourself. Because if we just told you whether to buy it or not, you could buy it and then you might not understand those facets and those parts of those risks enough for you to change them or de-risk or minimize that risk and grow the business once you've purchased it. So mm-hmm. it's such a key piece of the pie that it, it would be easy, us, easy for us to just say, yeah, buy the business, right? Or no, buy the business. And it would be easier for, in the short term though, it would be easier for you guys as students, yep, cool, I'll just buy the business. But it would be so much harder long-term and so much more stressful as a business owner. What are your thoughts on that? I, I agree with you because if, if, if I were to buy that business based on just what your team said, then I've almost not even taken ownership or accountability to making that decision. So now it's, you know, it's someone else's fault um, that I decided to do this and I wasn't able to handle it. I think we have to make that decision, you know, emotionally, intelligently for ourselves. It'd be like um, at, at work, if I walk by a piece of equipment and I hear a squeal, I don't tell the maintenance manager, hey, you need to go over there and fix the bearing on the right side of the machine towards the bottom. I say, hey, is this, is this a normal sound that this machine makes? And then, huh, I don't know. I'll look at that. And then I leave and then they discover for themselves what's going to happen and they learn from it. Um, but the same thing I think is true with your yeah. team is I really appreciate them not saying yes, go or no, stop. It was have you thought about this and this and this. And now I'm accountable for my own decision. Yeah. So I appreciated that. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for that. It's just a a way that we're trying to help people facilitate putting on that Sherlock Holmes hat and investigating (laughs) it further for themselves, really. Right. But I'll be honest, the first first few felt like dream crushers, right? You know, it was that, that, (laughs) uh, that little island in Thailand that had great internet reception and we can run, you know, this great business from there. And yeah, yeah, nope, no go. (laughs) yeah it's it's a it's a good i'm glad you said that because it's not just the projection that you have uh that gets squashed and crushed but it's also when you know the first few that you submit typically the the first one that somebody submits is like 99.99 percent it's not the business they're gonna buy Mm -hmm. uh but it's, so it's not just the projection that people have and them already selling themselves the business emotionally, but also those first few due diligences you do, you put so much more time into those because it's Ooh. the first ones you're do, doing and you're still working it out. So you are more invested in it than, say, your 10th due diligence because you're like, you've done it a lot. You've ten, done your 10th due diligence a lot faster than the first one. And so you have this. I think we get this attachment. We get attached to, I put so much work into this, it has to pay off. It has to pay off and the ROI needs to be there. But the ROI, if we're thinking short term, yeah, we need to get the ROI from that. But the ROI doesn't come from that first due diligence. The ROI comes from all of the due diligences and all of that time that you put in the first one and the second one and the third one. That's where the real ROI comes from because that's the education that you get to take with you after you've done your 10th DD, your 12th, 15th, 20th, whatever it is, and you purchase that one because that's – then you've looked at so many more businesses uh, and you've learned so many more things about risk and growth strategies that you can go away and use for yourself in the business you end up purchasing. Absolutely. So, yeah, how did, um, how did you come to the conclusion of the type of uh, business model that you wanted to purchase? How did you come to – you know, content sites over e-com or SaaS? Yeah, probably like most people when I got, when I first started looking into it, I thought it was e-commerce only because I just assumed that's what they, that, that's how you made money online. I didn't realize that a content website with some ads mm-hmm. made more than, you know, 20 or $30 a month or something. So it didn't even cross my mind that it was even possible. Um, so e-commerce, I knew was a lot of work, um, inventory, managing vendors, some of the things that I, that I'm involved with today. And I just wasn't interested in that side of it. I did look at SAS for a little bit, um, but I don't just, I don't have the technical competency to be able to, to do due diligence on something like that. And I'm, I'm pretty hands-on. So I would want to be, be able to verify what I was being told. And so the, the SAS stuff that I did look at just, I, I wouldn't be able to feel comfortable with. And I did look at a few that were like subscription style services which I thought were great as well, but mm-hmm. I didn't, I just didn't find one that I, that I felt comfortable with 
as far as they were used. The ones I looked at anyway were kind of industry specific and they had someone behind them that was an expert in that industry. Now, if one came up in the industry that I worked in, that might might have been something I felt comfortable with, um, but they just weren't um, a category that I that I thought I would be able to add value uh, for the for the receiver of the of the subscription. So content is where it ended up, um, and I looked at quite a few content sites. I think I submitted probably six or so. Um, I did a lot more than that. I found nine of them in my folders that I had done full DD on and, and done extra work. So I had multiple files that were associated with them. And then I had got to the point, mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe the first DDs were 12 plus hours easily. And even then they weren't that good. Yeah. And I got to the point in the end that um, you would notice it within 30 minutes. You could pretty easily see that there's no way that, that this is going to work out. And so, um, Mm-hmm. I was, I got to the point on where I was on Flippa and motion and empire flippers. And I was, I was refreshing every single day looking for new stuff because I had already looked at all the old stuff, at least at a high level that, that was content based. And then I started seeing sites that would yeah. sell. So I'd see something and I go that, and I do a, a DD, I get so far and go, that's pretty decent, but it, I don't, don't like X and Y. And then you would start to see them sell. Like, oh, okay, so mm-hmm. maybe I was right that that was decent. It just wasn't for me um, until finally I found this one. But in all honesty, it's like the um, the abundancy mindset, I guess you would say, is that if I wouldn't have bought this one, I'm sure there's one that was probably even better that I didn't get the opportunity to buy because I bought this one first. So. Uh, it depends. That's <laughs> that's a hard one to say. Uh but the way I would look at it is spiritually that you bought this one and because you bought this one, it was meant to be hmm. um, and life happens for us. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% certain you made the right move. Uh, and I'm glad that you mentioned that it took you 12 hours to do your first DD. Hmm. And I'm glad that you also mentioned how many due diligences you did do. You submitted six and you did you did nine that you didn't submit. <clears throat> and first, so the first one on like, it take, took you 12 hours to do your first due diligence. That's really good for people to note because they get in and they have this ideology, again, a projection that I can just go away and find a business, get some data, chuck it in the thing, send it to the team and they'll, you know, give me a bit of a, tell me to buy it or not. <laughs> and the reality is <clears throat> it takes work. And it takes people, you know, 12 hours. You probably didn't do that in one full day. Um, it does yeah. take people typically a week to do their first due diligence. And that's so normal in our community. Uh, and I like, to, I like to talk about this to set expectations for people because they already have projections that it could take them, you know, a very short period of time. Because, hey, I can do DD. I can do DD on a business within an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how many have I how many have done? I've done a lot. <laughs> so there's that piece on that time projection of how long something might take, but also people might have the time projection of, all right, I'm going to start this course and this program. And within three months, I'm going to own a business or I'm going to buy a business and, or maybe six months, I'm going to buy a business or within a year, at least within a year, I'm going to buy a business. The reality is sometimes it might take people for what you did to get to 15 due diligences. Sometimes it might take people six months or nine months to be able to get to that point because they might have, you know, young kids at home, they both, you know, um, if they've got a partner and they're both, you know, you and your partner are working and then you've got other things going on, uh, it might take you a lot longer to do a due diligence. That 12 hours might take you two to three weeks to do your first DD, right? So it's really good to talk about that level of expectation that people are like, well, if Fred can buy a business in four months, maybe I can buy one in three months or four months or six months at least. But the reality is your life situation might might not be the same and we shouldn't count hours. We should count inputs and those inputs are how many DDs you did. Mm. So for you, because you've got kids in college, uh, you probably have more time than when your four kids were at home. <laughs> so how long roughly did it take you to uh, get to the point that you purchased, you know, starting the, starting the course and the community to, to the purchase? Those I, think was a, I think that was about four months. And it, and I went through some okay. spurts where I would do a cool. lot of effort up front 
Um, I tend to be pretty intense on hobbies or anything I grab a hold of. So I would spend two, three, four hours sometimes in one night um, working on it. And I would get burned out after a week or two and slow down. And then I would jump back into it Mm -hmm. and and ramp back up again. But, you know, I'm I'm blessed in that my wife doesn't work uh, outside of the home. So I don't have to cook dinner. I don't have to take care of the kids. You know, we've got a dog and we've got one kid that's a senior at high school that's still at home. So um, I'm able to Mm. play um, per se more than uh, many people might be able to. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Four months is awesome. Congrats. That's really good. And so you bought a content business. Uh, What sort of, if you're open to sharing, um, how much did, how much did it cost you uh, and what sort of niche yeah. industry? Yeah, slash I would niche. call the, the niche, I would say, would be home and garden as a niche. Um, I paid oh, uh, yeah. 95000 for the site and I paid a 36 multiple and I paid a 36 multiple on six months, which um, I, I didn't feel super comfortable with. Um, however, the site had been growing over the last year and just thinking from the owner's perspective i'm using a 12 month when the site has already doubled in 12 months um they just weren't going to accept that offer i didn't think i believe they were asking um they were asking 105 for the website which was i think closer to a 40 Mm -hmm. multiple um i don't believe it was it was worth that based on the other sites that i looked at um i went in and i offered i offered them 33x on the six month, which was like 85 or 86,000. And it was an informal offer. I had, I had developed a relationship with them and I just told them, I was just honest. And I said, I really like the site. I just don't feel comfortable in that range. I said, I'm looking at like a 33 multiple. Um, they did the math themselves. And, and I just said, I, I, I'm looking for something in the 33 multiple and I think we're too far off. So I'm going to just uh, move on to the next site. And they responded back and said, no, I don't think we're that far off. And then we were able to settle on the 95 um, and then we made it happen. It took about maybe two weeks tops to work through the process of the closing. And uh, then the fun begins. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Congratulations. So it's, so on that, uh, I think you said you settled at 95. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, and so how much was the average net profit over those six months that you were basically multiplying? Uh, I, I believe that was twenty, about twenty six hundred a month. Yeah, so just okay, just shy cool. of three thousand. And yeah, and where did you purchase this one from? This one came off of Flippa. Okay. And the the yep. person that was selling it is actually a company. And they have multiple websites, some that they keep and some that they um, they build up a little bit and sell. So it's, it's a, an actual company that does this with a team. Um, in some ways, that made me feel uncomfortable. In some ways, that made me feel more comfortable. Um, one of the yeah, nice things yeah, has been they, uh, they've, we've continued the relationship. So as part of, of the purchase, as I told them, I just didn't have the experience yet. And so they agreed to meet with me. Um, one hour per week for two months um, to go through the website and to go through the strategies that they were using or would use. And they're literally walking me through how to use Google search console and how to do the queries and how to look for keywords and what they, every week they ask me to pull up Google analytics and ad drive and Google search console and look for anything that changed that went up or down. And then they help me to look at why it went up or down. So they, They'll have me do various searches and try to see why it happened and understand so that I can take action if I need to. So it's been a really good relationship. Um, I enjoy working with them a lot. That's exceptional. One hour a week for two months is a lot of training. It's more than the average and Mm -hmm. especially from people that are monitoring the site that closely and growing multiple other sites. That's yeah, you've done definitely, yeah. definitely quite well with that. So, congrats mm-hmm. on that. I mean, I'll tell you one what, story. What did you find was probably the hut? Yeah, I was going to tell. I was Go just on. going to tell you one story with that particular group. Is that uh, right in the beginning, I I had to transfer the domain ownership, and I decided to stay with the provider that they were using. 
and they were using a provider that had a dedicated server. And it was a, uh, what do they call it? Mm -hmm. a, um, self-managed or like hosting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The hosting itself, but it didn't have a, a webmail server or service on that server. So I had to add like a Google mail, a, you know, through Google workplace and add that. And I had to add that, go through the Cloudflare and change that direction. And when I did that, I broke the site. So the site went down. I didn't even know it went down. I couldn't get the email to work. The site was down. And then I get an email from their technical, their CTO person. I said, hey, Fred, by the way, the site's down. You might want to go look at that. <laughs> and then I broke so the you, DNS. So you drop. changed the DNS settings, yes. did you? Yes. And yeah. It, uh, did you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I messed it up good. And then uh, I ended up, the company that hosts the um, website, I ended up paying him to go fix everything. And in the end, I asked him, you know, what did I do mm -hmm. wrong? He said, well, you didn't do anything wrong. It can just take a couple of days, but I have some tricks that I can force the DNS to, to go through quicker. So he added up in 15 minutes, but it was, you know, a $300 mistake for me. <laughs> <laughs> so it cost you $300 to have him um, yes. resolve that. Yes, that was like his, uh, his yeah. minimum fee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was worth it because it and may not have been. this is the thing, like... Yeah, and this is the this is the scary thing. Like when people crash a site, well, that's the that's the thing. That's a I guess people's one of people's biggest fears is like, I'm gonna buy this thing and I'm gonna break it. And look, you can break it, and it's okay because it's always typically repairable. And you pay somebody a couple hundred bucks, and it's you know that stress mm -hmm. is gone and it's and it's resolved. Typically, sometimes you can reach out to support. Um, you know, you might be learning this in hindsight. You can reach out to support typically with the hosting company and then they'll resolve it for you through going through support tickets and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But to get it done fast, you can throw some money at it. And typically it's in the grand scheme of things, if your site's broken and it's one day and a couple hundred bucks, it's not the end of the world really. It feels like That's it. typically the worst case scenario that, that can happen with your site. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> And so, I have a list of other mistakes. Thanks too, for sharing that story. Any of those? <laughs> yeah, let's let's definitely dig into some of those mistakes. Before we dig into some of those mistakes, what do you think was the hardest part on the journey of of buying, you know, buying this business or buying a business that people should be aware of to sort of get ready and prepare for? I think we've already talked about it. I, I think it's that the initial due diligence that you submit is breaking through that emotional barrier on the first few, because after that, the emotion went away. And and you mentioned this in the training is like, you're, you're trying to prove you're trying to, um, you're rejecting the null hypothesis. You're saying I'm not buying the site unless I can find a reason to buy it instead of the opposite direction where you start from, Oh, this is perfect. Mm -hmm. I'm going to prove it wrong and start the opposite way and say this site, there's no way this will work. And when you look into it and go, oh, you know what? There's nothing that I can use to exclude it. So this is a good choice. But it's emotionally a different place, I think, um, coming that direction instead. So that was the hardest part is probably the first two or three. Once I understood that, then it was just finding the right site, which um, did take some time. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah, we definitely covered that. So let's, I guess, dig into some of the other mistakes that you've made that, that we can learn from, people can learn from. Oh, so I've, yeah. So because, um, I've done some websites in the past, I felt more comfortable than I should. I never used WordPress. So I wrote my old websites were all on HTML. So I wrote, I literally wrote them myself. I did them myself. There was no, there was no GUI at the time. You might be able to get a template that somebody had built or something, but it was, it was all HTML. So in my wisdom, um, let me say what might be a good example. Um, keywords. There are some words that can be uh, two words or one word, like lawnmower, I guess. Is lawnmower one word or two words? Those are different keywords <laughs> to Google. So if the site is optimized on lawn space mower and you change it to lawnmower one word, um, it, may have, it may have consequences. And so I went through and I found some misspellings and I went, oh, okay, I will just do a search and replace on all of these. Unfortunately, some of those were in the slug. They were in the slug. And I didn't understand that the slug was actually the HTML title. And so I broke probably 20 pages 
Um, most of the top 10 pages for the site, I broke them. And then it took several days to realize with the help of uh, who I purchased the site from what had happened. So when we met and we were looking at why are the numbers dropping, we started going page by page and then we found, oh, why'd they go to zero? And then I remembered what I had done. And one of the other learnings from that was um, as you're making changes to sites, keep a log of what you're changing so that in hindsight, you can figure out why it got better or why it got worse. Because once I dove into it, I'm, I'm making hundreds and hundreds of changes. There's, two, what, 212 articles. So I'm doing grammar checks and doing some formatting and trying to make it a little bit um, nicer. Spaces or adding bullets and doing all these things. And if it gets better, I'm not ever going to remember what I did two weeks ago. Because I have a list on a page yeah. now that's, you know, 100 long of things that, you know, small changes that should be insignificant that I made. So, yes, I broke all the slugs. Yeah, which basically for somebody listening is when you change the the slug or the title, uh, it Google won't recognize it as what it has been ranking for. So they'll try and re-rank it somewhere else and you won't get the same positions and traffic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so it's an uh, interesting, interesting thing to do. But I think what your lesson that you learned from that is really good is and what you alluded to before and talked about before is going through with the team and seeing what changes you've made and what has, what, how has that impacted the site uh, negatively or positively? And that's the best way to grow any business. And I, I, I just say businesses, business is life. It's the same thing. You know, what I put in my body, uh, what works for it, what doesn't work for it and continue to do what does work mm-hmm. and eliminate what, you know, cause damage to the right. site, to your health, to your business, all that sort of stuff. So that's a really good lesson. You got some other ones in there that you that are um, some cool, interesting ones too? Uh, I think those are the big three. That's the the slugs, breaking the site, the email debacle where I broke the DNS. Um, those were the biggest ones. I'm, there's still a few that I'm struggling with that um, I'm having some issues with uh, misspelling specifically. Like, uh, what is it? Uh, mm. Like if you take a plant and you say lily, lily is L-I-L-Y. And if you find a page that's L-I-L-L-Y and you change that, um, I'm like right now Google is is uh, having trouble figuring out how to index that page. So it's got the correct spelling and the wrong spelling and the slug. And now it's confused because of, you know, I messed it up two weeks ago and it, it Google still hasn't uh, figured it out and I keep messing with it. So... <laughs> which is making it worse (laughs) this is what i typically tell people when they buy a site is like like what do i do i've got to grow it all you know let's jump into action mode and typically it's the first thing is like just learn the site do nothing for a little bit and understand Mm -hmm. how it works and then make some small changes but have somebody on your side that's helping you with it you know you've got your um the seller which sounds really good um as a sounding board and an expert, it's really valuable to have somebody on your side, right, to help you with changing things on the site and growing it. So, do you guys do you have like what are your what are your growth plans for this? I I've seen that the site's already grown. Like what you shared with me before is you know you're going to achieve the highest income month um, for the site in its existence. Uh, and so you bought a great site. You bought it when it was trending up you know, all the, all the signs um, mm-hmm. that we look for in a good site when we were purchasing it. So you've stacked yourself up, you set yourself up for success, but I'm sure you've got some growth plans. What are you, how, what are you looking at doing to, to grow this? I mean, the, the first thing that I'm doing right now is trying to optimize what I've got. So I'm currently not adding content. Mm-hmm. I'm doing grammar changes. I'm looking at competitors that have articles on the same topics and seeing how do they do it versus how is this site doing it. Um, so trying to get the foundation in place, mm-hmm. trying to get a good flow of when I when there's a blog post, what the order of you know the, how do you water or plant or you know prepare the soil all in the same order on everything before I start ramping in more content. But I would imagine that over the next couple of months, I'll start ramping in content. I have uh, two writers that have um, EEAT already on board that have written articles for the site in the past. And so both of them can do up to an article a week if I choose. And 
they both have websites of their own. They write very good articles and that's that their hobbyists. So that's what they do. Um, so I will turn them on. They're ready to go. Um, once I can give them good direction, I, I need to be able to give them good direction. And I'd like to optimize the site for the user. The site's a little bit dated. You know, there's some things with the menu bar and just kind of how things flow and how many clicks a user would have to click on to get to the answer that they're looking for. So I would like to optimize those things and then start adding content on top of it. Um, I don't see it going towards heavy affiliate or anything like that. I'd like to keep it as a informational content site. Um, we are starting to build an email um, group that only had like 40 emails um, on the list when I turned it back on. So it's up to about 40, but it didn't have any when I bought it. Um, so doing some kind of easy weekly story or something to you know, raise interest from people, um, you know, whatever, whatever's going on, build, you know, when you plant something, maybe you take a bunch of pictures of it or you till your garden, you take a bunch of pictures of it or, yeah, you know, find a new tool that works well. You know, maybe there is a small affiliate opportunity, but I'm just trying to make it a good quality informational website that so that when Google does their updates, um, it's not going to be affected by them, hopefully positively affected because it's not. I mean, there's nothing more annoying. Like now you go to the Internet and you try to find an answer and you run into all these affiliate sites and you're you're trying to find a, one that's done by a person that actually touched that item. And that's what I'd like the site to be is someone mm -hmm. that you can trust that has experience in the field and they're not even trying to sell you anything. But no intentions of yeah, selling it. It's just that they uh, just. Yeah. And that's so good that you're focusing on value where there's people that will explain, you know, how to do something and they've got three different, you know, uh, products that they may use. doesn't matter which one you choose. It's just like, hey, this is this is the one that I use. You can choose whichever one you want. You don't need to use these ones. You can research your own without the attachment to the sale and trying to make money straight away directly from those mm -hmm. affiliates. It's, yeah, you're just focusing on value and that's really good. With the email marketing, when you get people on your list, you can set up a branding sequence, put them through a branding sequence, um, make them feel quite happy to be on your list, set an expectation for them. And then what you can do is you can just repurpose the content that you're publishing uh, and you know give them little snippets and drive traffic back to your site. But you're also adding value to email list without them having to go to your site. Uh, and that's good for branding. It's good for value adding. And then eventually when things come down the line, you can start doing some uh, some email marketing strategies with uh, products and different things like that. So right, yeah, right. cool. Congrats. That's really good. How do, you, how do you feel about the whole experience of buying this site? Um, I'm still a little bit nervous. Like uh, I mentioned before, I'm looking at the site every couple of, you know, couple times a day. I'm looking, even though the... Uh, the previous owners told me, don't look at these metrics every day. I just can't help it. So I'm looking every day. Even even my wife will look over my shoulder and go, what are you looking at that for? He told you not to look at it every day, but I just can't yep. help it. So I'm, I'm watching very anxiously, um, watching very closely and trying not to react uh, to noise, I guess, is uh, what I'm trying not to do. Mm -hmm. But just the, the unknown. But I feel yeah, more and more comfortable yeah, that's great. You mentioned that to me when we just jumped on the on before we hit the record buttons. You know, have you seen? You asked me, have I seen my sites? You know, have any impacts from the changes over the weekend and stuff? And I was like, look, I don't, I don't check that often, to be honest, <laughs> um, because you know, I, I I'll just share. Like, I I like a long term strategy, and I know that if I'm focusing on value and content mm -hmm. and putting it out there, and then I'm going to win. Like I don't need to like react to uh, changes because sometimes a change may be like a little bit of dip and then we go away and like I've learned this in my own life mm -hmm. personally. I need to change everything and I change everything and I make things worse or I make it like so much more of a drama when I could have just left it. It's a little blip, a little dip, and then it could come back and I've just totally gotten in the way. And um, yeah, it's a, tr it's a tricky thing though. I totally get it. You know, it's – you know, Fred, where you, you've bought something and you want to make sure it's good and you just want to, like, make sure it's, you know, set up for success and you're monitoring it regularly, uh, it's a pretty normal thing. So um, eventually eventually, you'll start to get bored of looking at it every day. <laughs> it, won't, it won't be as shiny anymore. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cool, Fred. Well, would you have any, other than what we've shared, do you have any like things that you'd like to share with everybody that is looking at buying their first business? Any words, other words of wisdom that you haven't shared? I mean, I, I think the, the words of wisdom would be the due diligence is more important than you can imagine in the beginning. And you even mm. even in the beginning when you are doing DD and you start to see a site that's not going to work out, complete it anyway because you're going to learn more. And then when you start to see sites, my opinion, when you start to see sites that start selling that you've looked at, then it starts to calibrate your eye even better. Like, oh, okay, that one actually had value where the, originally you're looking at sites that may have been on there for three months. And then of course, as we talked about, um, be cautious about changes in the beginning, probably leave it alone. If it's been running for several years and doing well, you don't need to touch it in the first week and try to, to break everything. And then that, uh, that network I think is extremely important. The better your network and the better support system you have behind you, um, the better you're going to be because you don't have to make those decisions alone. And then, oh, and then the other thing is the uh, the escrow process through, at least through Flippa, and I would imagine the brokers, to me, seemed very safe. It was a lot more comfortable than I thought it was going to be. So that, I was, I was relieved with that. And at least with Flippa, they were emailing me, they were contacting me the whole time, even, out, even without CCing the seller, asking, how are things going? Am I getting everything I need? So it was, it was, it was a better process than I thought it was going to be. I expected it to be more like an eBay purchase than what it was. So Flippa did a great job, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome to hear about Flipper. I went to a Flipper event a couple of months ago and uh, they've definitely made some awesome changes and just have really focused on customer support and focused on better assets on the marketplace. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I love that you shared that. I love that you shared what you shared about due diligence and network. Uh, and also I love that you just came on and shared so much through this whole chat. So thank you so much for coming on, Fred. Really do appreciate it. You're welcome. Absolutely. Anytime. Everybody that is listening, thank you for listening. We talked about due diligence a lot. Fred is, you know, really forcing it home. And if you guys don't have my framework, what Fred's used to buy this business, go away and get it. Buyingonlinebusiness.com forward slash free resources. Um, it just it takes the guesswork out of like knowing what data to get. Um, and then you can back that up with the education through the community. If you want to join, if you don't want to join, that's totally cool. You can just keep listening to this pod for free. Uh, and I would ask you though, I don't really ask you guys to subscribe. Um, I'd love for you to subscribe. I'd love for you to leave a review. Um, I think this is the first time I've asked people to do that in about a year and a half, Fred. So hopefully <laughs> we get some reviews. Hopefully we get some subscribes yes. and thanks for listening guys. Hey YouTube watcher, if you thought that video was good, you should check out this video here on the two best types of websites beginners should buy. Or check out my playlist on how I made my first 100K from buying websites and how to do due diligence. Check it out, it's an awesome playlist, you'll enjoy it.